under Barry Trotz, the Islanders are 91, 10, and 11 when scoring three or more goals. At some point, Oliver Wallstrom can be a 40-goal scorer in this league. Barry Trotz is not looking at this three-game segment as any kind of sentimental journey. Whenever I get into a fight, I'm actually mad at the other person. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice Newsday's New York Islanders Podcast, episode 117. I am your host, Andrew Gross of Newsday, and please find me on Twitter at A Gross Newsday. And I'm pleased to welcome back on this episode our podcast playoff friend, Neil Best, Newsday's fine columnist, hockey or otherwise, as well as our fine media reporter. And we'll hear from Neil shortly, as he'll be stepping in for me briefly this week on the road in order to fulfill. Neil's lifelong or career-long goal of making it to Winnipeg, and Neil will explain that. Also, I'll try to answer some of your questions with Andrew's answers, but first, let's try to get the temperature of these Islanders as they continue on their season-opening 13-game road trip, albeit having spent more time at home this week in between games, if you recall, After the first six games, the Islanders returned to New York from Vegas, had three days off from practice, and then uh, another couple of days of practice for before getting back out on the road. Uh, And that was to go to Nashville. And uh, they go to Nashville on Friday, play on Saturday, home Saturday. It was an afternoon game in Nashville, so they're home by Saturday night. Off on Sunday, they practice Monday, do not practice Tuesday. Wednesday, they'll get a practice in and then they'll board their charter and head off to Montreal for uh, three games in four nights. And uh, so that's, uh, it's not, you know, uh, surely the the, the first six games, which uh, I believe for the team was 11 days in a hotel. I I know for me it was 12 days in a hotel, but for the team it was 11 days in a hotel. Uh, That got kind of long, but otherwise, uh, you know, uh, a weekend trip to Nashville just feels like part of the schedule or uh, uh, heading off to Montreal and then Winnipeg and Minnesota for three games and four nights. Well, that that's something that the team normally does. And and after Minnesota, they they come home. You know, they'll come home late on a Sunday, and then they do not play again until the the following Thursday at New Jersey. Which yeah, they'll they'll go to Newark and they'll they'll spend the night in Newark. But that's a that's an easy road trip. Uh, and, and then they come right back, and it's. Uh, Another, you know, few days at home before finishing off that 13-game stretch uh, with a a back-to-back in Florida. You you go Tampa and and the Panthers. I believe that's November 16th, 17th. Um, They'll probably, uh, uh, they'll, they'll get a practice in at UBS Arena. And then uh, they they open up the, uh, the the new building on November twentieth. So uh, it, it's not necessarily going to feel like a, a complete slog through thirteen games over five weeks. They're 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 certainly getting plenty of time at home. But 
you know, still a still certainly a challenging trip here, and uh, the Islanders are are right now three three and two, so that's eight points through uh, through seven games, and and you certainly want to do a little bit better than that ratio uh, in order to make the playoffs. Um, and, and just to uh, correct myself, the Islanders are in Florida on. Uh, Monday, November 15th, uh, that's at Tampa Bay. And then Tuesday, November 16th, they're at Florida. Uh, November 17th, uh, surely will be an off day after a back-to-back. And then uh, November 18th, I believe the team will get in a practice at UBS Arena. Uh, there's a, a private uh, concert going on November 19th, so the Islanders can't get the ice then, and then they open up November 20th, and that's the start of a four-game homestand, uh, back-to-back the 20th and the 21st. John Tavares and the Leafs are in on the 21st. Uh, the Rangers come in on the 24th. Sidney Crosby and the Penguins on the 26th. So uh, a pretty good homestand there to uh, open up UBS Arena, but that is looking way into the future. We're We're concentrating now on these... Three games uh, in four nights coming up starting uh, Thursday in Montreal. As I speak, like I said, the Islanders are 3-2-2, two, and two, and that puts them on a 3-0-2 oh, point streak after Saturday's 3-2 shootout loss at Nashville, a game uh, I think they should have won. I think the Islanders think they should have won that um, shootout's are just completely arbitrary. You you can't rise or fall necessarily on a on a shootout result. But uh they face the Canadians in Montreal on Thursday and that's my leg of this three games and four nights trip and uh then they go to Winnipeg where where Neil Best will uh will join them and again we'll be hearing from Neil shortly. They face the Jets on Saturday, then they head back to the US uh to face Minnesota. Uh, on Sunday, they faced the Wild in the Zach Parisi homecoming game. And Parisi from Minneapolis is one of three Minnesotans on the roster, including Anders Lee and Kiefer Bellows, uh, both Lee and Bellows from Medina. And uh, Parisi, of course, played nine seasons for the Wild before they bought out the final four seasons of his mega contract. His father, JP, as we all know, in addition to being an Islanders legend, played seven-plus seasons for the uh, the old Minnesota North Stars before coming to Long Island. And uh, Anders Lee was asked on Monday uh, just what the Parisi family means uh, to those in the hockey community in Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, the Parisi family, it's a, a, a hockey family, obviously. Uh, you know, some some great pioneers in Minnesota, um, and obviously Zach and his dad and, and um, the careers that they had and the impact they had on hockey in Minnesota and even down at Shattuck and all the way through. And it's just, um, yeah, growing up, I mean, you always knew who the, the Parisi family was and Zach and his career. Um, you know, it's just, uh, so I'm excited for him to get back and play in front of, you know, his family and, and have a good night for him and, and back him up. And, um, yeah, it's always nice. You know, obviously we had a few Minnesota guys too. So anytime you can play in front of family, it's a good night. And of course, these first two games of this, uh, segment of the trip are, are the Islanders first games in Canada 
since the playoff bubbles in Toronto and Edmonton in uh, August and September of 2020. And if you recall, when the world stopped, the Islanders were actually in Calgary uh, on March 12, 2020. They had played at Vancouver, then flown to Calgary. Uh, they got a practice in at Calgary, and then they were supposed to play the Flames morning Skate got canceled. They flew home. The season was halted. And uh, from March, we waited. Well, they, they got in a, a preseason game up in Toronto right at the end of July. I think it was July 29th against the Rangers. But really, play didn't resume until August 1st. Um, so this is uh, the, the Islanders' first trip back uh, to Canada since playing in those playoff bubbles. Barry Trotz gets to go back home to his home province of Manitoba. His birth city is is Winnipeg, uh, although he basically was raised outside Winnipeg and Dauphin, which is uh, the same place defenseman Ryan Pulak uh, was born. But Barry Trotz is not looking at this three-game segment as any kind of sentimental journey. Rather, he wants to see the Islanders build upon the good things they've done during this five-game point streak, which has, you know, they're not at their consistent best yet. Uh, I, I think a 3-0-2 record speaks to that. Um, but at the same time, uh, they've certainly gotten a lot of the kinks out of their game that were evident in those uh, two opening losses at Carolina 6-3 and 5-1 to the Panthers in Florida. Uh, the Islanders ha have played faster. They've connected more on passes. Uh, their power play has done better. Um, they've certainly gotten solid, good goaltending from Ilya Sorokin, uh, who had his shutout streak of 146 minutes and 54 seconds uh, snapped in Nashville after back-to-back -back shutouts. Personally, I liked a lot of what I saw from the Islanders against a Predators team in Nashville that is really starting to round into shape under John Hines, who I, I got to know well when I covered his Devils teams. Um, that marked the Predators' third straight win. Uh, the Islanders did well to contain defenseman Roman Yossi, who, you know, Barry Trotz might be a little biased on that, but he continually calls Roman Yossi the best defenseman in the league, and uh, he makes a very good argument for that. Uh, Barry Trotz does, and Roman Yossi does with his play. I believe coming into the Islanders game, uh, he had a three-game point streak where he had had two goals and five assists in the previous three games. Islanders held him without a point in uh, regulation or the overtime. Um, honestly, it, like I said, it was a game the Islanders should have won. They were up 2-1 in the third period. Uh, they were getting some really solid goaltending from Ilya Sorokin. But the three biggest issues, and this was detailed by Trotz, after the game was an inability to convert on odd man rushes. And, and the Islanders are going to have to start scoring more in transition. Uh, they just are. Um, and they had their chances in Nashville, and, and they couldn't convert in the third period. Um, and, and that cost them. So did some uh, uh, weak play along the walls in the, in the third period. Basically, the Islanders could have clamped down on that game, and, and they just... 
some of their plays, as Barry Trotz described it, were, were not as hard as they needed to be, um, especially along the walls. And uh, that's why the Islanders didn't maintain a 2-1 lead, although, uh, you know, kind of not a fluke goal, um, but a shot that goes in off of a shin in front. Um, and that that's what happens when you let a team hang around and hang around. Um but maybe the biggest issue is uh, the Islanders and Barry Trotz was not pleased after the game. They, they have not played well in overtime. Uh, they have not used the, the, the open space in the three-on-three to their advantage. They've had two cracks at it. They lost 3-2 in overtime at Columbus when they allowed Patrick Lane to get open in the right circle for a laser wrister uh, that, that Sorokin had no chance on. And, and they lose a 3-2 shootout at Nashville and, and really didn't generate much in the, the five-minute overtime with that open ice. Uh, look, in general, and this is not just about the Islanders, um, a lot of overtime periods now have, have become a bit of a slog instead of the open, uh, the open ice excitement that the NHL is trying to create with this three-on-three play. Both, both the Predators and the Islanders at times seemed more content to maintain puck possession than actually attack the crease. That's a problem. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing a new rule in the NHL for overtimes where once you come across the blue line on sides, you, you can't bring the puck back out. Otherwise, uh, there's a face-off outside the blue line. Um, maybe it's center ice. Um, now I know that would, the NHL probably wouldn't like that because they'd say that that would slow the game down too much. But I, I also think it would keep teams from doing this where they kind of dip their toes in the water in the offensive zone. And if things don't set up perfectly for them, there's a, a drop pass back, and the next thing you know, they're back skating through the neutral zone into their own zone uh, to start attacking again. And it's kind of become uh, the NHL's version of the old before college basketball went to a shot clock. You know, the uh, Dean Smith, North Carolina, uh, four corners, uh, where you just run out the clock there and maintain possession. And, uh, um, Look, it worked for Dean Smith in North Carolina, but it wasn't fun to watch. I remember being a young kid watching these 42-40 games, these, you know, 40-36 games. That Dean Smith would just run out the last seven, eight minutes of the clock. And uh, I'm not saying the NHL is there yet, but uh, I, I do think it, it's going to come to a point where the rules committee is going to have to look at overtimes if they want to keep that excitement level going in overtimes. Uh, uh, it's a little bit of an aside there. Let me get back to the Islanders. Also, on this three-game segment of this road trip, expect to see Semyon Varlamov make his first start of the season, most likely in one of the two back-to-back games, either uh, at Winnipeg or at Minnesota. Barry Trotz, who, who never reveals his goalie, uh, decisions has already said that uh, Varley was not likely to start in Montreal. Um, he just he's got Ilya Sorokin in a good rhythm, and he doesn't want to rest him for too long. And the way the schedule is breaking, uh, with so many days off, it it, it just 
it doesn't work to Varley's advantage uh, to go in because you're going to have Sorokin on the bench uh, for too long. And as Barry Trotz talked about after the game in Nashville, he learned that uh, as a young coach in Nashville, where at one point he felt he had to get his number one goalie back in, even though the backup uh, was playing well in the, in the number one goalie's uh, absence. And uh, Barry... You know, uh, he didn't give specifics, but he said he sort of forced the number one back in. And then, uh, you know, both he had two goalies who were uh, out of rhythm and a little rusty. So he wants to keep Ilya Sorokin at, at the highest level of, of this rhythm, of, of this good streak he's in. And then bring Varley in uh, when, he, when the schedule dictates uh, back-to-backs are certainly a good point. So I, I would expect to see Varley, like I said, either in Winnipeg or Minnesota. And uh, and then we, we go from there. But uh, Varley will probably, you know, Varlamov and Sorokin will probably split the two games in Florida on uh, November 15th and 16th as well. But like I said, I want to get to ne- I, I want to get Neil Best in here to speak about this upcoming road trip segment and some of his other views on the NHL starting with an explanation of why he wants to go to Winnipeg so badly and in fairness ever since Newsday was kind enough uh, to hire me as the Islanders beat reporter in March 2018, Neil uh, immediately let me let it be known that whenever I wanted him to go to Winnipeg in my stead, he would be happy to do so. And uh, so here's Neil telling us why that is. But the Winnipeg thing, yes, I've been fortunate enough in my long and distinguished career to have been to every city. I've covered a game or, or been to every city in North America that hope that has a team in one of the four major sports. With one exception, I have never been to Winnipeg. So why not go now, particularly because it's early November and not January. Um, so, yes, I've never been to Winnipeg. It's a huge hole in my uh, travel resume. So I do, I do want to see Winnipeg because I've heard such great things about it from hockey writers over the decades. Because I know it's the favorite stop of all hockey writers. Yeah, tell me, uh, just building off of that, tell me what you're expecting to see in Winnipeg here. <laughs> um, I don't know. The arena's downtown. I like that. Yeah. Are um, you, no. I don't know what I'm, I'm not expecting to say anything. I'm just expect, oh, oh, I had a joke prepared for this podcast that got ruined on Sunday. Oh. What I was going to say is I had to go to Winnipeg to try to maybe see a Jets victory. Oh. I was at the Jets victory <laughs> Sunday, and now that joke cannot be used. So, uh, that was going to be my big – I've been working on that for a week for this podcast, but the Jets won, and that was a great game. So, so be it. Um, I don't know what I expect to see. I, I do know that when I suggest, when I offered to go to Montreal and Winnipeg, um, <laughs> I was, I was told that I could go to Winnipeg, uh, because I know you like Montreal. Well, yeah, no, I haven't been to Montreal now in a while. So, and although to be honest, in retrospect, uh, you know, I think I might have been selfish there and it probably would have been easier for you if you had gone to Montreal first. So I apologize no, there. No, no, it's, no, it's all good. I've been to Montreal. I need to go to Winnipeg. Yeah. So uh, are you staying at a downtown hotel near the arena? Yeah, I, yep. I have to get the full experience, of course. Okay, good. Yeah, because uh, when, it, when it snows two feet, 
you will be able to walk indoors to the arena. So. Right, well, the Rangers are there in March, so you know I think I'm good on both ends if I go for Colin Stevenson. So. Yeah. Well, no, I'm glad you're getting to do this, and uh, so you'll have both games. You'll have Winnipeg, and then also the back-to-back in Minnesota. Um, the second game, you'll 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 see Zach Parisi's homecoming uh, in Minnesota, and uh, you know what what kind of scene do you expect that to be from the from the Minnesota crowd? He you know he he played there nine seasons, uh, you know, uh, coming over from the Devils. Uh, they 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 bought him out of the final four seasons of that thirteen year ninety eight million dollar deal. Um, and he obviously comes to the Islanders on a one-year deal, but he's he's a Minnesota kid, basically. You know, his his father, you know, uh, that's where he grew up. Uh, you know, after uh, JP settled the family there. So, what are you expecting from the from the wild crowd, and what are you expecting from Zach as he makes that return to Minnesota? Well, I mean, I, I, I assume he'll be greeted, you know, warmly. I mean, it's it's weird that he was there for nine years because, of course, I still think of him as a devil. I mean, you know, I still remember, you know, I was our kind of our devil's guy in that whole Eastern Conference final in 2012 and talking to him every day when he was the captain. It's weird he was there nine years in Minnesota. But no, I think it'll be warm. As far as him as, as a player, look, I mean, it's obviously TBD with this. We, we don't. It's too early to know for sure what he's going to bring to the Islanders this season. I mean, uh, uh, you know, it's at, at his at this stage of his career, you know, we, we don't know. Uh, I, hopefully he can contribute, but, you know, maybe for that game he's extra jazzed up and does something special. That would be a good story for me to write. So <laughs> I wouldn't mind seeing something like that. I, a Parise hat trick in, in uh, St. Paul would be a good story. So uh, I always want the good story. Yeah, no, it's it. I mean, it it should be a good trip for you. Uh, the Islanders obviously continuing this thirteen game road trip before uh, they get to UBS Arena on November twentieth, and it's uh it's also the first two games they they they, they play Thursday night in uh, Montreal. First two games in Canada. Uh, since, uh, you know, first two regular season games in Canada, I should say. They obviously, uh, two seasons ago, they had the playoff bubble in Toronto and Edmonton, but they were so sequestered then, it wasn't really like being in Canada. It was just being in a hotel in a, a rink someplace. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping to talk to some of the Islanders about this, but uh, I, I got to think there's going to be some good sentimental feelings for the Canadians on the team, and that's Canadians with the I-A-N-S, not the Canadians I-E-N-S, with with, with the Canada-born players going back over the border for the first time to play. Yeah, I'm sure that's true, and you'll, you know, presumably get some of their friends and family, I'm able to see them play in person and all that sort of thing, and um Butch Goring gets to go to Winnipeg, I guess, so he gets to go home. Well, Barry, uh, Barry Trotz, too. Barry Trotz from the area, yes. Yeah. The, the, the province, anyway, yeah. Um, so... How far did he grow up from Winnipeg? Uh, it's well, nothing. You know, everything is, is <laughs> everything is far in Canada, but nothing seems far to them because they're just used to right. taking four-hour drives no, through the stuff. So, so uh, yeah, no. But, but I mean, more broadly, though, you're right about the Canada thing. But just you know, and, and more broadly, it is nice to see you know, all these teams going to these cities that obviously they didn't go to last year and having things be back to normal and, 
you know, that, the Wilds Arena is one of the best, one of the nicest in the league. And it's, Absolutely. It's just, um, yeah, I mean, that, that is as, as logistically convenient as the, as, as not going to the West and to Canada was for teams and for us. Um, it, it is nice to be back to normal and seeing all these places because, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously I did not have an opportunity to make a trip to Winnipeg last season, so. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then one other thing, and, and Ryan Pulak from uh, from Winnipeg area too. He's he's by from where Barry Trotz is. But uh, one other thing you'll probably see in that back to back is uh, Simeon Varlamov's first start of the season. Uh, you know, Barry Trotz obviously plays it close to the vest, and and what a nice vest Barry Trotz was wearing in Nashville on Saturday, by the way. But um, you know, Barry doesn't typically tell you in advance who the starting goalie is, but uh, after the game in Nashville, um, the the 3-2 shootout loss to the Predators, in which Ilya Sorokin, again, I know it was 21 saves, uh, they were 21 hard saves, and he played a really good game again, and uh, Barry Trotz said after that game that, you know, Varlamov may not, you might not see him in Montreal, and more likely would be the back-to-back for his first starts of the season. So, uh, you know, I know you're Mr. Goalie here uh, through our run in the playoffs. Uh, how how much rust do you think you might see in a, in a Varlamov who has not played since, you know, Game 7 at Tampa and missed all of the preseason, missed all of training camp? He's been practicing with the team, but as Barry said, you know, he is going to be rusty. How much can we expect of Varlamov right off the start here? Well, I mean, he himself, when uh, we spoke to him after practice last week, he, you know, he said you never know, and he did not deny that rust could be a, a thing. Um, but that's okay. I mean, it's early November. I mean, I, I don't. He, he, they got to get him out there. I mean, he's a veteran who knows what he's doing. He says he's healthy. <clears throat> Obviously, he's going to play one of those two games on the back-to-back, and um, yeah. So if if he looks so rusty, so be it. As long as he doesn't look rusty a month from now, you got to go through. The, it's like it's like Trot said. It's like yeah. At this point, it doesn't matter when he comes back. He's going to have to go through that process at whenever that is. So might as well. I mean, you got. It's definitely going to happen. So I don't care if Sorokin shuts out Montreal and and then Winnipeg. He still wouldn't start against Minnesota. I mean, if that's the order they do it in. So uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's something. Yeah, I don't need both of them, so... Well, yes, they, they definitely will need both of them, but, uh, you know, the schedule is not playing to uh, Varlamov's favor here. Uh, just, you know, five days off last week uh, before going to Nashville, and now you got another, uh, you know, three days, uh, you know, they don't play in Montreal until Thursday. We're recording this on Monday. You do have the back-to-back, but when they come home from Minnesota after the game on Sunday, it's another three days before they play the Devils on November 11th, and then another three days before they start a back-to-back in uh, in Florida against Tampa Bay and and the Panthers. So... Barry, it's a challenge for Barry and the Islanders to get Varlamov into any kind of rhythm here 
while still keeping Ilya Sorokin on this strong rhythm that he has. And uh, I, I think, this, the, like I said, the, the, the schedule is definitely playing against Varlamov to, to get that quicker than he has. Yeah, no, I mean, you're, I mean, that's, you're right, and that's why it was kind of a weird thing with the game of Nashville, where if you're if you're buried, you, 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 I mean, putting Varlamov in at that point, then Sorokin's off for 11 days, and that's not that's not ideal. So yes, you're right, but of course it'll all even out in the long run. And again, you know, yes, there's going to be a process. Yes, the schedule's not great in terms of that aspect, but you know, it's early November. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, when we're, I'm used to being doing hockey on a daily basis when it, every every single moment matters, and you know I'm on this little outsider <laughs> shooting in from the football meter, whatever I do, and it's like to me I'm thinking the hockey season. Yeah, it's early November. I know the fans and the writers and the coaches and the players. This is this is big. But I'm here to give you some perspective. It's early November. <laughs> well, you know what November brings, and that that's going to bring the opening of UBS Arena on November 20th for the Islanders. And uh, I'm assuming other than, uh, well, that, that'll be uh, your first game in person this season, I'm assuming, right? Well, no, well, no I got the Winnipeg. I the- oh, I, I'm sorry. I should say... Uh, yeah. You're going to Winnipeg, Andrew? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, I, 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 I realize that because I'm not going to Winnipeg, and I think, yeah, so I I'm think going the, to Winnipeg, so the 20th will not be my first game to first. But anyway, I am. I gotta say, as a, as a jaded, cynical, seen it all veteran sports writer, yeah, I, I, I really am looking forward to that night. That is that the 20th. That that is gonna be. Um, it's gonna be a cool night. I mean, it's. Well, Islanders fans have been waiting for it for decades, and um, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. That's going to be cool. Yeah, yeah, no, it it, it definitely will. And after 13 games on the road, I got a sense that the Islander players wouldn't care if they were playing in the practice rink at that point, just as long as they weren't, you know, traveling somewhere else. It, but it's just well, but it's just that you know we made a big deal about the road trip, understandably, because it's a record, you know, road trip. But you know, the reality is, after that first couple of weeks, as you alluded to, the sparse number of games, it's not what's going on now is not that weird. You know, yeah, they got that first six games. Yeah, no, I mean, it, 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 it's much more manageable now. They, they, you know, it was a weekend trip to Nashville, and now you go out on, on sort of a, I think for them, a, it'll be four nights in a hotel. You hit three different cities, which teams do all the time, and then they don't fly again for eight days or seven days, you know, before they go to Florida, and that's all, that's a back-to-back, and then, you know, then it's, the the only other road games in November are at uh against the Rangers and at Philadelphia. Those are manageable, and it's a bunch of you know one offs in December going to Ottawa and Detroit, and you know so once they get past this thirteen games, they're they're going to be very definitely homebodies. For you know, for for a long time, and, and I I think there's more of an extended trip. Uh, maybe early January, it might be the next one. So if they can get through this first 13 games, and uh, you know, you 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 don't want to fall too far behind, but you know, 
They, you know, they're, they're, they're three, three and two through their first seven. If they hover around 500, you got to figure that that's, you know, about best, uh, you know, where the, the minimum they would have hoped for, I would think is hovering around 500. Yeah. And they're, and they're a veteran team that can handle this kind of strangeness. One would think, although I did, I, I thought it was an amusing comment from Barry the other day where he was talking, since, since this is an older team and most of them have, many of them have young kids. He was like, yeah, you know, they got home, but that doesn't mean they were, they got any rest. <laughs> yeah. The kids were all over them. I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. And then you contrast that with Oliver Wallstrom, who's the youngest player on the team. Uh, he's about five months younger than Noah Dobson. And he was talking about getting 12 hours of sleep on Monday <laughs> and Tuesday right. and Wednesday. And uh, I'm yeah, sure. I don't think the guys, I don't think the guys in their early thirties were getting 12 hours of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well. I don't know. Uh, speaking as a guy in his fifties, I think it's impossible to get twelve hours sleep now. So, <laughs> oh, now, well, yeah, but they, they have uh, you know toddlers crawling into their beds. And no, morning, so. yeah, no, I, I don't have anyone crawling into my bed, and I'm I'm still uh, I'm not getting twelve hours sleep. But uh, 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 hey, uh, so. I, I know you, you, you got to see a, a practice uh, last week, and uh, I know you were quite amused by uh, Matt Martin teaching uh, Matthew Barzell some new tricks. You know, it was, you know, we, <laughs> it was an example of the benefits of us being there for live practices, because, you know, I'm watching it, and, you know, I'm no expert on the nuances of these practices, like a beat writer like yourself is, but all of a sudden I do notice two of the most prominent guys on the team having a fight along the board. So I'm like, well, this seems interesting. And they were throwing punches and wrestling. And, you know, it took me about 10 seconds to figure out this was not an actual fight, but it was something, you know, more amusing than, well, that would have been a big story. <laughs> but it was something, you know, more interesting than that, and that uh, Martin was giving Barzell, you know, tips on, on scraps. And I got some of it on video. Uh, and then, you know, the shame of it in this no locker room era is I didn't get to ask those two guys about it directly, but you know, Barry said, yeah, I don't know what was going on exactly over there, but uh, that's not Barzell's um, strength. So I was worried about Barzell suddenly become a, becoming a fighter. I think that was uh, not a big worry. Although, according to Barry, Martin told him, yeah, Barzell's got a lot of, you know, he's strong on his skates, got a lot of core strength. I'm like, yeah, that's great, but. Yeah, probably still do not want Barzell fighting people. No, but I mean, uh, you know, and then we saw Saturday was a pretty scrappy day in uh, in Nashville, which was a bit surprising since the two teams never see each other and haven't seen each other since before the pandemic. But, you know, Barzell was in the middle of a few, uh, you know, yeah, no, a few I mean, of those scrums. Yeah, there's nothing, yeah, obviously Barzell doesn't need to be, you know, in a full-blown fight, but having pointers from, from Matt Martin about how to just grab a guy and handle yourself actually is a useful skill, then why not go to an expert to, to learn how to do that? <laughs> I think the reason for the scrapping is that some of the predators are saying nasty things about shots is best. <laughs> you know, the Islanders rush to his defense. Yeah, yeah. Hey, um, but before we let you go, Neil, I, I just wanted to ask you a big picture, uh, you know, not necessarily Islanders related, but uh, the, the big story in the NHL right now. And I, I guess it's it, it's an absolute crime that it took 11 years uh, to, to, to really come out. Um, but 
Uh, Kyle Beach of the Blackhawks came out as the John Doe who accused uh, the video coach in 2010 of sexual assault. And uh, there, there have been severe repercussions throughout the league. Uh, you saw Stan Bowman uh, gone in Chicago. Joe, Joel Quenville, who was the Blackhawks coach at that time, out in uh, Florida. And uh, uh, I heard from a, a source today that uh, the expectation is Don Fear is going to be out with the NHLPA uh, when the dust settles in this. And I know uh, the NHLPA executive board, of which Anders Lee is the player rep for the Islanders, is uh, holding a, uh, a conference call today to discuss the leadership, it's believed, of the NHLPA. And just, you know, Neil, you, you've covered scandals uh, across different sports. Uh, it just... The, the 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 awful i mean actual you know criminal nature of this one you know it just where where, where you know how, how does this transcend sports and you know the, the chicago and everyone is gary Bettman's talking about how we just don't let this happen again but you know we've seen this in sports before with penn state what, you know, where, where, where can the NHL go from here? Well, I mean, the, the most important thing moving forward, as everybody keeps saying, and as both the Rangers and Islanders coaches said, as Andrews Lee said last week, is being sensitive to real, to, to being aware of this sort of thing to make sure it doesn't happen again. But the strangest thing about this particular one, because unfortunately we've seen this happen throughout the sports world, throughout the world more broadly, is, is the, this, this delayed the fact that it's more than 10 years ago doesn't diminish what happened. It just makes it odder that, that, that it's all being dealt with now. And of course, that makes it worse that it took this long. Um, but that's, that's the most unusual thing about this particular one. You know, you have people who've moved on to other things who are now dealing with the repercussions, including Quinville. Um, so, uh, but, but, you know, the, the fact that Kyle Beach actually did that interview with TSN was, was crucial because yeah, I mean, people can read a report and they can get upset about it and they can be John Doe and it doesn't diminish that, that there's repercussions, but it changes the entire dynamic and also brings in the sort of the broader world when you have a face and a name and, and, a, and an emotional interview like that that's attached to it. So really, in terms of making sure it doesn't happen again, that that's, to me, the most um, important thing that happened and why he deserves so much credit for doing that interview because without that, it's like, you know, casual people are not really into hockey. They're, they're just, it's just a, it's just words on a piece of paper. Uh, now it's real. So that, that was a huge part of this story. Yeah. And, you know, John Tortorella, who, uh, has his name out there as a potential replacement for Quenville in, in Florida, but is now working as a media pundit. Um, I thought he, you know, what he said about it, um, sort of hit home to me. Uh, he was, he said the crazy thing to him is that once Kyle Beach reported this and it went up the chain and it was discussed in a room, Torts said it was, it's crazy to him that there wasn't one person who stood up and said, wait a minute, no, 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 this is wrong. That, that that there was a whole room of people who, you know, whether they worked together or not, 
they 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 let they 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 dropped the ball on this. There wasn't one person who stood up. And, and Torch said that's the craziest thing to him that there wasn't one person who who saw that this was absolute how how horrific this was. Strange aspect of this particular story, as we've seen many cases of sexual assault, where you know a person doesn't is not ready to talk about it. Years later, they talk about it. In this case, yeah, the guy did you know what you would want to be done, what you would expect to be done is just okay, you reported it. Okay, great. Now, now it has to be dealt with. You know that's the way it should work, and of course that's not the way it worked. So, yeah, that's another weird thing about this one. It's not like the guy was keeping his deep, dark secret. He, he told he told people about it and expected things to happen, and nothing happened. Yeah, no, in, in, in that way, it seems similar to the, the Penn State case, where, you know, you heard things about Sandusky, people reported things about Sandusky, and... And there was just, uh, you know, a tremendous whitewashing of, of the whole affair. I would like to think, and, you know, Bill, I guess we'll see how this, the world unfolds here, but you would like to think that players, coaches, management, just people in general, more so than five or 10 or 20 or 50 years ago, are, have sort of gotten the message that we're all supposed to kind of be involved in, um, not keeping this stuff secret. So, um, yeah, hopefully it'll do some good. I mean, I, you you would you would think so, but I guess the, we'll see what happens in the world in the next twenty years. Yeah, yeah, and and again, like I said, I mean, for all the the the, the executives and coaches who you know were and the crazy thing was, no one gets fired. Everyone's allowed to fall on the sword and and resign of their own accord. Um, it, it it certainly seems like uh, Don Fear is the executive director of the NHLPA may be the next person to uh, uh, be asked to step away from his position as the fallout from this continues. Yeah, and he's you know that that's um, for a lot of non hockey fans, he's of course a familiar name because you know he was a very famous for his baseball work and um again that that's something that is uh, that if that happens that's something that will continue to make non you know people outside the hockey world kind of aware of the story which is important for the reasons we discussed earlier well yeah no it's 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 heavy stuff and uh, it's stuff you hate to have to have a discussion about but it it it's very necessary you know uh, to 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 get that message out. Neil, I, I thank you for uh, your time on this, and uh, I wish you safe travels as, yes, you were going to see a live hockey game in Winnipeg um, and Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, well, the Minnesota I've done, again, very nice arena. Um, I did see the Jets play in Anchorage, Alaska in, a, in an exhibition game in 1983. Um, Anchorage not on the list of North American major pro sports cities, but yeah, <laughs> I've crossed that one off. Now, I have not covered a game in every city, not necessarily, but I've shown, but I've been in every city in the major sports except for the Garden Spot of North America, and I finally am going to be in. And I'm not. I have to say nice things about the place because they said mean things about Ottawa a few years ago when the Rangers were going there. And yeah. 
I, a lot of backlash. Yeah, yeah, no, no I, I, there, there's still anti Neil Best posters up in in Ottawa, so uh, they don't like me in Ottawa. No, they put me on the radio up there to talk of those bad. <laughs> but uh, Winnipeg, I love Winnipeg. I, 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 this is gonna, this is gonna be big. I expect a red carpet at the airport. Um. All right. Well, good luck with that. Um. Do you have? Do you have a favorite now that you know you've? I mean. You're gonna hit everything. Is there uh, across the, the 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 all the sports you've covered? Is there a favorite spot you've gone to so far? Um, you know, I, I I often judge these cities by by working logistics because I love like downtown arenas, which Winnipeg has. Yes. Um, you know, my my favorite cities are so boring and stereotypical, like San Francisco or you know or, or New Orleans or. Um, you know, so I, I guess I have to say I have to say San Francisco, but um, but yeah, I, I I've enjoyed experiencing all of it. I mean, it's just uh, like I said, I've been fortunate just to be able to even sit have this little quirky Winnipeg thing that I can even talk about. Um, so I appreciate Newsday um, allowing me to go on these trips for the last thirty six years, <laughs> <laughs> and now for buying me a ticket to Winnipeg. Thank you, uh, Newsday. Thank you, Mr. Dolan. I will try to write a good story and make you proud. All right. Well, I I mean, I have no doubts that you're going to uh, to, to to do that and, and fill in more than admirably for me. Just don't fill in so well that the bosses decide to put you on the beat permanently. Um, and then I can guest on your podcast. We can. <laughs> <laughs> um, but before letting you go, I, I got to ask you one music question here. God. <laughs> just um now as you know charlie watts the drummer for the rolling stones passed away recently and uh you know that is that was sad news charlie was 80 years old when he passed away on august 24th of the two remaining members of the rolling stones original members and that would be mick jagger and keith richards who is older? See, now I've been asking you for Stones questions for months. You finally <laughs> have given me a Stones question. I've read Keith's autobiography. I know Mick's a great grandfather, shocking as that is. Jeez, um, I'm gonna say Mick. I guess you were correct. Okay. Mick Jagger was born. July 26, 1943, making him 78 years old. And Keith Richards was born on December 18th, 1943. So he is still 77. Yeah, and but Keith Richards' years are like five years for everybody else. So that's more impressive. Um, I, I, I surely expect Keith Richards to outlive all of us at this rate. I mean, that would just be the, the biggest Murphy's Law ever if Keith Richards survives everyone. So oh, yeah, I mean, a minimum, a minimum late nineties for him. Absolutely. <laughs> Neil safe travels. I appreciate you uh, hopping on and I, I look forward to chatting with you uh, soon and seeing you at UBS arena on November 28th, uh, okay. November 20th. November 20th. I hope to be there. Save a seat for me. I will. I'll save a seat for you. And, uh, yeah, yeah, should be good times. Thank you so much. So I, I hope you enjoyed Neil's views and opinions and insight. And if you want to follow him on Twitter, uh, 
Please do so at SportsWatch. And from Neil, we go to some Andrew's Answers. It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. And we'll start off with M. Um, M asks, I don't think the Islanders scoring looks any better than last year. It's going to kill them. Um, not necessarily a question, but I will delve into that anyway. Um, last season, the Islanders averaged 2.8 goals per game, and they gave up 2.3 goals per game. And uh, you always hear Barry Trotz and Lou, Lamro, Lou Lamorello discuss it's not how many goals you score, it's the goal differential. It's how many more goals you score than the opponent. So if you're scoring 2.8 and giving up 2.3, you're a winning team. Um, in the playoffs, the Islanders maintained that 2.8 goals per game over the 19 games as they got to Game 7 of the NHL semifinals against Tampa Bay. Um, but they allowed 2.8 goals per game. However, and uh, I, I put my weak math skills to, to the test here, you subtract that 8 nothing loss to the Lightning in Game 5, and the Islanders then averaged 3.0 goals over the other 18 playoff games while only allowing 2.5 goals per game. And, and three goals is really... Three goals is really the magic number for the Islanders under Barry Trotz. And uh, he always says if the Islanders get to three goals, they should win the game. And, you know, that's based on uh, uh, the defensive system that uh, the team has relied upon. And it also has to do with uh, the goaltending and and, uh, also just uh, how the NHL is, you know. Um, But basically, look. Uh, the, the, the hard stats here, under Barry Trotz, the Islanders are 91, 10, and 11 when scoring three or more goals. So, uh, you know, even if you add the 10 and the 11 together, you know, you count, you just say, well, that's an overtime loss or a shootout loss, it's a loss. The, the Islanders are 91 and 21 when scoring three or more goals under Barry Trotz. So, like I say, three is the magic number. Now, this season... And I, I, I agree with you. The scoring is not up this season. The Islanders have actually averaged 2.4 goals per game through their first seven, and they're giving up 2.6 goals per game. So obviously that's that's tilted in the wrong direction. And, and I agree with him that the Islanders need a, an uptick in their goal production uh, to, to be a playoff team. Now, I, I, I'm also... Uh, there, there are some things I see in the Islanders game that, that lend me to think that that will happen. And, and namely, the, the way Oliver Wallstrom has played, he brings a, a, a sharpshooter's quality to the team that, that is sorely needed. Also, having Anders Lee back uh, around the crease, uh, we'll, we'll, he's going to start banging in some goals uh, as well, the, the power play has looked, at times it's looked like you expect the Islanders' power play to look, which is not good. But uh, in Nashville, they, they scored two power play goals. And more importantly, they were clean on their offensive zone entries and they were making tape-to-tape passes. 
and they looked confident with the puck. And if they can build off that on the power play, then they are going to, you know, they're going to rise from that 2.4 goals per game. Uh, but right now, no, the Islanders are not scoring enough. And uh, that's a good point by UM. Uh, Thomas Boyle asks, speaking of Oliver Wallstrom, who, by the way, leads the team with four goals, um, do you see Oliver Wallstrom getting 50 goals at some point in his NHL career? And I, I would have to say, and I'm not trying to put a ceiling on this kid at all, but 50 goals, you don't see many players getting 50 goals. It's, it's the rare talent. It's the Alex Ovechkins that get 50 goals. And like I said, I'm not trying to put a ceiling on Oliver Wallstrom's uh, uh, goal scoring ability uh, for his career, but I, I sort of think the NHL, the way it's played now, um, 40 goals is kind of, you know, I, do I see Oliver Wallstrom getting to 40 goals in his career? I would, I would say yes to that. Um, I, I don't know if I, I'm going to give him 50 goals, but I, I do think at some point Oliver Wallstrom can be a 40 goal scorer in this league. And, and, and the way things are, that's, that's a heck of a, a milestone to reach. Um, John Clark asks, uh, with the NHLPA labor agreement ending after this year, what kind of changes might we expect to see regarding the reporting of harassment-related complaints by players against team or league officials in light of the Kyle Beach situation and how it's been handled by the league? Um, it's a good and it's an important question, uh, John Clark. Uh, you heard Neil and I discuss that uh, somewhat when Neil was on the on this episode. Uh, let me just clarify one thing: um, the existing CBA, um, or uh, well, the existing CBA, uh, the CBA extension that was agreed to. Um, in conjunction with the return to play, uh, and that was in July of 2020. So if you remember, the NHLPA and the NHL came together with return to play protocols uh, to get the games going again through the COVID uh, pandemic. But at the same time, they also worked out a, a CBA extension. So this extension actually runs until September 15th, twenty six. Now, uh, the CBA, which was initially ratified in January 2013, was set to expire September 15th, 22. So they extended it for four years, uh, basically getting six years, we hope, of, of labor peace uh, between the sides. Um, you know, that has nothing to do really with the, the meat of the question, which is... Um, what kind of changes might we expect to see regarding the reporting of harassment-related complaints by players against team or league officials in light of the Kyle Beach situation and how that's been handled or, should we say, mishandled by both the NHL, I would think, certainly by uh, Chicago, and uh, it, it looks like certainly by the leadership of the NHL Players Association. Now, uh, you're, you're right in bringing up the, uh, the CBA, um, in that, you know, any, any real changes do have to be, uh, ratified and, and put into the next CBA. Uh, but that being said, I, I certainly expect there to be, uh, 
as you as you see with COVID protocols, um, you know how players are supposed to report and what they can and cannot do, and all those sort of guidelines. I I certainly expect to see a more defined protocol for these type of complaints, not so you know where a team can just you know have its executives and coach sitting in an office and hear the complaint and then not automatically run it directly to the league or police enforcement or to ownership. Um, I think you're going to have a written uh, chain of what to do, basically. I I think that's what's going to come out of this because both sides, uh, you know, were horrified at at what, what is coming out. Uh, through the investigation, and and certainly, uh, no one wants to see a repeat of this in in any way, shape, or form. So I, I do think there are going to be some some protocols written in where, and maybe I mean, you know, my first question is, you know, shouldn't have someone gone to law enforcement immediately? Um, I I do think a, a flowchart of protocols is going to be in place and, and, and pi- quite possibly in place pretty quickly, even without it being ratified into uh, the next CBA. Um, Domenico JJ says, being, being that Matt Martin and Zdeno Chara fought a handful of times over the years, how was their first meeting together? Awkward? Um and one of the things I guess I find endearing about hockey, um, endearing because, you know, whenever I get into a fight, I'm actually mad at the other person, you know? Um, and certainly if it raises to the level of a physical confrontation, and I will say I've mercifully gone through most of my life without really getting into too many scraps there. Um, you know, I'm a hockey writer, not a fighter. Um but, you know, yeah, uh, Martin and Char, I think per HockeyFights.com, they've, they've actually officially fought three times. It just seems like more. They certainly fought last season when Chara was a member of the Washington Capitals. Um, I noticed in training camp, they were in the same group. Um, and, and there was one day at training camp where, uh, you know, say Martin and Chara were in group B. So group A is on the ice. Group B was doing their off-ice work, and then all of Group B had to walk through the practice rink back into the dressing room, so they, the whole team, or half the team, that group walks through in front of view of the, the media, and I think I tweeted it out at the time, but what struck me was Chara and Martin were just kind of walking together, you know, joking like they were longtime friends. And uh, I, I actually did ask Matt Martin about, you know, their, their relationship and how they were able to get along. And, and, and Matt Martin said something funny. He said whenever he fought Zdeno Chara, he never tried to get Zdeno Chara mad. You know, it were, they, they weren't fighting out of anger. They, those, those, were, those were hockey fights, not street brawls. They're, you know, both players saw a reason for the to fight rather than it necessarily being a, a vendetta against each other or any kind of glitch in their personal relationship. Uh, Matt Martin said he always, you know, he, he went out of his way to not anger his Dano Chara 
when they fought or when they played because he he would not want to fight an angry Zdeno Chara. And uh, you know what? I found the very, very, very first hockey game I ever covered, um, I believe it was in that uh, lockout short in 1995 season. It was at the Meadowlands. It was a Devils game. Um, I believe the Devils were playing the Flyers and uh, uh, the former Islander, Steve Thomas, um, great guy, was playing for the... uh, for the uh for the devils in that game and he got into just a horrific fight. Uh, I forget with w- what flyer, but there was just an out and out brawl. Um so now me having never really been in an NHL dressing room pre-game post-game, I walk in there there's a scrum around Stevie Thomas and I went in there and I expected him to be kind of spitting nails and, you know, just angry. And he was sitting there yucking it up and, and talking. You know, it turned out he was friends with the guy he fought. And he was laughing about how he got his butt handed to him in the fight. And, and I sort of learned something that day that uh, when NHL players fight, it's not like you or I fighting. It really isn't. It, it, there's... Often, you know, sometimes there's carryover, but, you know, you know, I'm not talking about Tom Wilson situations. For the most part, uh, these, the, these fights are for a specific reason, and then the guys, more often than not, will, will yuck about it later on. And I, I remember uh, when I was covering the Rangers, there was a player, Dan LaCouture, um, and he was sitting in the uh, in the Rangers dressing room at their practice facility, and I was doing a story on fighting, and I was asking Dan. You know, he fought frequently in his his short NHL career. Uh, I was asking Dan, you know, who was the hardest person? Yeah, like what what hurt the most? What hurt his hand the most when he punched somebody? And Dan thought about it for a second, and then he turned to his left, and I, I, I'm sorry, I forgot the name of the player sitting next to him in the Rangers dressing room. The, uh, the Rangers of 2003, you know, had, or, you know, a, a ton of players in and out. Um, but Dan was sitting next to another known brawler, and Dan looked at the guy and, and started laughing, and he just pointed to him, and he said, you know what? That guy's head is made out of titanium. You know, I punched him in the head. I thought I was going to break my, uh, my, uh, my, my fist. You know, it felt like punching steel. His skull is so hard. And, and the two of them just started laughing about the fight they had had. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, no, it's not awkward whatsoever between Martin and Chara. They're two hockey players doing a job, and uh, they're, they're both really good guys. So uh, it makes sense that they get, get, get along very well uh, off the ice. And uh, speaking as Dano Chara, let me just read a couple of questions here. IslesFan777 says, will Barry Trotz ever consider sitting Dano Chara and putting... Uh, uh, Adam Pellick and Ryan Pulak back together where they belong. And Ethan uh, Shooter um, says, when is Robin Sallow coming in for Chara? 
And and is that when uh, Adam Pellick and Ryan Pulak will be reunited? Seems kind of asinine to break up a top three pair in hockey just to accommodate Chara when Salo is better than him. And uh, look, I, I, I understand and, and, I, and I talked, I believe, on the last podcast about some of the shortcomings in Zdeno Chara's game uh, this season. I think it's a little bit too soon to declare Robin Sallow is a better player. Even right now, uh, than Zdeno Chara. Robin Sallow has not played a minute in the NHL. Zdeno Chara is going to the NHL. Uh, you know, he's he's going to the Hockey Hall of Fame. Um, now, he is 44. He is not locked as strong on his skates as he's needed to. He's, you know, misplayed the puck. He's... Uh, you know, he's gotten beat defensively. I, I get all that. Um, but look, Robin Sallow is just starting his North American career with Bridgeport. They're going to let him marinate in the AHL for a little bit. I think I said on the last podcast, uh, doing Andrew's answers that, you know, I, I would think maybe December, uh, would be a starting point when you start considering Robin Sallow, if he, if he shows he's, he deserves a chance with his play at Bridgeport. Um, I, I don't think Salo is coming in for Chara anytime soon. I, I think Sebastian Ajo is, you know, he's on the roster. I think he's the next man up, certainly. As far as putting Pelik and Pulak back together, um, Barry Trotz, yeah, he uh, he mixed up his defense pairs. He got... Uh, Noah Dobson away from Zdeno Chara. Both of them have have struggled, have not been as consistent with their games as as necessary. So Barry Trotz split them apart, and uh, now you got Pellick with Scott Mayfield, and you got uh, Chara with Pulak, and and you put Dobson back with Andy Green because that was a good pairing last season. As far as when Pellick and Pulak go back together, I do think it's a when. Not an if, um, but it, it might it might be after this thirteen game road trip because Barry also was talking about how on the road when you're not getting the last change, it's uh, it's a little harder to get the matchups you want. So that 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 also went into his reasoning for splitting up Pelican Pulak. It was to get a little bit more favorable matchups to get them, you know, on the ice a little bit more if they're on different pairs, you know, one, one or the other one is, is usually on the ice, uh, in this formation. Um, Anatolik says any idea on if or when Sebastian Ajo will play this season? I don't have a date for you. I don't think Barry Trotz has a date for you other than, yeah, at some point Sebastian Ajo would play. I keep expecting to see him on one of the legs of a back-to-back, um, quite quite possibly during this three and four. Although uh, Barry Trotz had a four and six, I believe, and uh, he didn't use Sebastian Ajo there. But uh, Barry Trotz has been asked several times about it, and, and he says it's not a situation like last season where you know Sebastian was just on the taxi squad and just didn't get in all season. He he expects Sebastian Ajo as the seventh D-man D to, to get some time. 
if if Zdeno, you know, just centering on Zdeno, if 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 they find he they need to manage his minutes a little bit better, then yeah, uh, that that would be the guy coming in. Um, Sticking with defensemen, Jack Anton asks, the Avalanche seem to have a bit of a surplus of defensemen, and the Islanders sure could use Devontae's back. What would it take to reacquire him either now or at the trade deadline? Now, Devontae's is in the second year of a $16.4 million deal. Uh, The Avalanche signed him to after trading for him from the Isles. Uh, it's true the abs are right up against the salary cap. I know they didn't necessarily want to trade Ryan Graves to the Devils in the offseason, but they did. They needed to, uh, you know, it, it was a cap situation. I, I don't think Devontae's is one of the players the Avalanche are looking to trade. I mean, we talk about the Islanders being a Stanley Cup or bust team. Uh, the Avalanche are, are sort of a, on that track as well. And, and Devontae's, when healthy, is certainly a, a big, big part of that. What would it take, just hypothetically, for the Islanders to, to get Devontae's back? I mean, obviously, you're probably starting with, with, with Robin Sallow. You might be starting with Robin Sallow and Samuel Bullduck. And a uh, you know at least a second round pick, potentially a first round pick. Um, it would be very pricey uh, to get Devontae's back. Well, let's put it this way: you're not getting Devontae's for what you got back for Devontae's. Um, let's see, Matt, professional contrarian or not, um, asks. Uh, the current length of schedule makes gauging a trend really difficult. That being said, what changes do you see being made once the schedule, quote-unquote, returns to normal, if any? And um, I got to believe, Matt, that you're talking about the Islanders' 13-game road trip. Um, and what do I see uh, normalized once they get back? Well, uh, it's kind of a difficult question, but I I would think, I mean, you you get, you have a little bit of a better practice schedule uh, in terms of, you know, what what kind of practices you can get in when you sort of eliminate that heavy travel schedule. And look, you know, uh, once they, they, they open their home schedule on November 20th, they only have, uh, check my math here, they only have 28 road games to go the rest of the season. And that's, you know, December, January, February. Uh, February is a wash because the Olympics. But, you know, you're going through uh, through mid to late April, right? Um, so they're not going to be on the road a heck of a lot once, once UBS Arena opens up. So I, I do think they'll be able to get a more normal uh, practice schedule in and we talked about Adam Pellick and Ryan Pulak. I, I could see those two being repaired uh, once Barry Trotz starts having uh, the last change. Um, as far as other trends, I, I can't really think of any uh, that that come to mind there. And uh, uh, one last one here from Will Forthman says. The only thing I like about Zoom press conferences versus in-person is on Zoom, we can actually clearly hear you and your fellow reporters' questions. 
uh, for the first time. Is there a way for Islanders PR to possibly provide a microphone so we can hear the in-person questions? And uh, uh, for the most part on the road, uh, there were... It's sort of been 50-50. I've been handed microphones at a few of the games. I I forget where I was. Um, At one place, I was handed a microphone after a game, and there was just incredible feedback. I don't know what caused that, Um, so we didn't use a microphone there. I don't think we used a microphone in... In uh, in Nashville, but that's because one was not provided in that room. When available, yeah, the Islanders PR certainly uh, hands out the microphone uh, to get the questions, uh, you know, audible as well. So, just speaking for Islanders PR, it's not necessarily their choice. You know, uh, they're assigned a Zoom interview room in these towns that they go into. And not all of them are the same. Some are very small. Some of them have been so small that uh, they they can't even bring the media in. And even though I'm in the arena, I'm still up uh, in the press box doing Zoom interviews. That That's happened twice where the location just didn't work. Um, so thank you very much for the questions. Thank you for listening. And thank you to Neil Best for his time. For additional Islanders content, please go to newsday.com backslash aisles or follow me on Twitter at A Gross Newsday. And until the next time, happy hockey, everybody.